The talk this evening is on power. Power is a concept and a quality which holds a variety of associations and meanings and connotations for us. Some people perceive the concept and the quality of power as being something very desirable, something very exciting, something very attractive. Some people feel the need to have power, to be powerful. For other people, the very concept and the whole quality of power is something very frightening. And it brings out a sense of fear, a sense of anxiety, whenever exposed to a situation or an event which seems to have power. When we perceive the presence and the influence of power all around us and within ourselves, objects have power at times, authorities, models, people, expectations, are all areas of living that we're exposed to that can seem to hold a tremendous amount of power. We also experience power not just outwardly, but also feel the presence of power within ourselves. Sometimes our memories, our expectations, our images can feel to have a tremendous amount of power. Sometimes our thoughts, our feelings make an impact upon our minds, upon our consciousness, upon our way of seeing, which is powerful. And power is energy. It's the energy that can influence. It's the energy that can affect. It's an energy that has the potential to condition our behavior. It's an energy that has the potential to condition our vision of ourselves. And power is also the energy which gives us the capacity to change or to alter. It's an energy that we can call upon within ourselves. Power is an energy that we can exert, that we can express. It's an energy as we see it around us and as we see it within us that can be tremendously creative. It can also be enormously destructive. And we see around us and within the effects of power, the potential that it does have to influence us. I think something that's very necessary to recognize is that we all have that energy. We all have energy and we all have power. Too often we look upon power as being some sort of external force, belonging to things, belonging to objects, belonging to authorities. And when we view power only as an external force, so often we find ourselves repeatedly in the position of feeling influenced by other people's power or by other things' power. And then so often going through life feeling very much to be in the role of a victim. It is when there is a real lack of understanding inwardly, when there's a real alienation from sensitivity and from connectedness, it's when there's a real disconnection from any true caring vision of life that power is an energy that becomes very perverse and very distorted. 
because we do all have power, it's important that we can understand it. It's important that we can understand its source, that we can understand its potential, that we can understand the effects of the power that we have, and that we can also understand how to creatively utilize power, how to creatively relate to power. Otherwise, we remain in a position of being frightened by it, and we can go through life really afraid of power, really afraid of that kind of strength or influence of power. We can become very much a afraid of people, afraid of authorities, and go through our lives hiding, avoiding, protecting, defending, very much assuming a kind of role of powerlessness. Sometimes that role is assumed simply because in our own past we've experienced the pain, we've experienced the impact of distorted or perverse uses of power over us. In our culture, for many of us, power is a quality which has a particular association. And power is often used in the sense of the capacity to have power over something, the capacity to alter or to influence nature or to influence people. And in used in that sense of having power over, power is used in the sense of mastery over the capacity to control. If we are powerful in that distorted way, it's the capacity to control something. And control, in that sense, feels to be strong, feels to be a, an element or an expression of strength. And there's no doubt there are many people who get a lot of charge out of that feeling of strength, that feeling of control, no matter how questionable that power is. Because that feeling of control, the feeling of being able to control people, to control events, to control ourselves, can bring about a sense of kind of invincibility. It can bring about a sense of being a, a success in life. And that feeling of invincibility, the capacity to control things, brings about this kind of feeling of an inflated self-image that I am strong, I can have power over, I can influence people. And sometimes that inflated self-image in our culture, and our society, is very much equated with a positive self-image. And yet look, you need to see what is involved. What is involved with an individual in achieving that position of invincibility, in achieving that position of mastery over things, of being able to control. Essentially, what's involved in that process of having power over anything is setting oneself against things, setting oneself against other people, against life events, against nature, against whatever it is that we want to be able to control. And that capacity to have power over becomes a, a test of strength. It becomes a, a test of one's own kind of worth. And then life is often perceived as a, as a kind of battleground. Life is often perceived in this 
aura or this inner environment of, of hostility or resistance. And as long as there is a capacity or the ability to control, to have power over people, over life situations, over objects, there's a sense that one has removed distance oneself from them. And in that distancing, a feeling of not being overwhelmed by things. So it's a way of staying in control. It's a way of protecting oneself from fear. It's a way of creating this kind of defense of invincibility. Power is used in that sense. It's the energy that's used to win. And winning becomes a test of one's personal worth. And that battle is, goes on outwardly and it goes on inwardly, proving oneself by being able to control. Proving one's invincibility, proving one's strength by one's capacity to control other people. And the inability to control, the inability to have mastery over something, is often perceived as being a kind of weakness. Vulnerability, openness, is often perceived as a kind of weakness and again, a reflection on one's worth. And that weakness is obviously not in any way compatible with a self-image that depends for its worth on being able to prove to have power over. When there is that misuse of power inwardly and that distorted use of power, when life is related to as some kind of battleground, then obviously that relationship is not contained within the individual. That need to have mastery over, that need to have power over, is not contained within the individual level. And because of it, we have war, we have oppression, we have genocide, we have domination of nature. All tied up with this need to win, this need to be invincible, this need to be powerful, all of which are essentially an expression of fear. That need to be invincible, that need to control, can't in any way be divorced from the element and the feeling of fear within oneself. And that fear is avoided as long as we can win, or as long as a person can win. Then that fear is avoided. It's not necessary by winning, by winning makes it unnecessary to confront one's own vulnerability. On an individual level, that need to win expresses itself in competition, in competitiveness, the need to be better, the need to prove, the need to have mastery over events and objects in one's personal world. But on the global level, that need to win expresses itself in very devastating ways. It expresses itself through politics, it expresses itself through racism, it expresses itself through sexism. And whether it's on the individual level or on the global level, that avoidance of fear through power, through the misuse of power, has the same effect. And the effect is suffering, the effect is pain, the effect is conflict, the effect is separation. 
I wonder why it is, why it happens that life has to be seen as some form of adversary. Why that life has to be seen as some form of kind of opponent that we need to win against or to have mastery over or to be able to control. And why is it that we can't, our world can't learn from the effects of that kind of relationship because we are living with the effects of that kind of relationship all around us. And the effects certainly of that kind of relationship is a lack of peace in our world, a lack of well-being inwardly and outwardly, and a, such a lack of sensitivity. Winning is equated with being better, with being worthy, with being successful, with being a worthy person. As long as there is an alienation from really connecting with ourselves and what is really vital and fundamental to our well-being, then worth gets measured by that capacity to win, by that capacity to control. And because of that association with winning as being better, there is such a terrible degree of exploitation, such a degree of suffering, which divides and which perpetuates division and separation in every area of our lives. And it's almost as if control can become the driving force in a person's life. And almost as if almost any price is willing to be paid in order to stay in control. It's almost as if at times it's okay even to be in control of an absolute mess as long as one is in control or feels to have that position of control. Because obviously, if we measure our worth by our capacity to control and measure our power by our capacity to win, which means to win over or to have power over, then winning at almost any cost, at almost any price, is better than losing. Because losing means really touching inwardly the whole motivations between that need for power and control. We experience, probably within our own lives, the effects of the destructive use of power. We probably experience what it feels like to be exploited, to be undermined by another person's power. We probably feel, know what it feels like to be abused or to be battered in some way, emotionally, psychologically, by the use of control or power in other people. And know that pain, the impact of that feeling, the pain that it brings, and the impact that it makes upon our own sense of worth. And often the pain that is created or felt through that use of power makes us withdraw. It makes us withdraw from other people. It makes us withdraw from life. It makes us create and erect barriers and defenses to protect ourselves. And yet in creating those barriers and defenses to protect ourselves, we also isolate ourselves. We also separate and divide ourselves. And either way, we lose, because either way there is pain and that withdrawal, of course, 
reinforces the power of others. Withdrawal reinforces the power that other people, that life situations, that authorities have over us. And withdrawal also reinforces our own sense of fear. And so pain continues. We can go through life afraid. Afraid of people, afraid of authorities, afraid of our capacity to be hurt, afraid of being powerless. Just as we experience the destructiveness and painfulness of a kind of distorted use of power, we probably also all sometime in our lives, experience the effects of feeling powerless. Distorted power means aggression, it means control, it means competitiveness, it means adversity. Powerless means a belief in paralysis. Powerless means a, a kind of passivity. It means going through life as a victim constantly vulnerable to the effects of other people's power. Powerless means suppression. Feeling powerless within ourselves means suppression of thoughts, of feelings, of actions. Because to express them in some way means confronting our fear of power. Destructive power conditions relationship to life. It conditions our very vision of life, where life is perceived as an opponent and brings so much insensitivity. But powerlessness also conditions our relationship to life, where we can come to feel so easily overwhelmed, open to exploitation, open to being controlled, Powerlessness can leave us feeling paralyzed, adopting roles and life directions that feel safe. Powerlessness means adopting identities and images of ourselves which are basically have their foundation on feeling defensive. Powerlessness and a belief in it leads us to be really rather directionless in life, afraid to assert any form of direction because the assertion of any form of direction also means asserting our own power. And every time we assume a role or a position of powerlessness within ourselves, we give power to other people. And we leave ourselves very open to being exploited. We leave ourselves very open to being controlled and in that often blame, feel resentful, feel angry that we've been controlled in some way. And yet so often that anger that we feel towards others is not just towards others. So often that anger is also towards ourselves for somehow finding ourselves in that position of being controlled, of being exploited. And that anger that's felt accompanied by a kind of inner paralysis where we feel unable to change can leave us feeling so essentially helpless in life, subject to the influences of the outer and yet at the same time not able to call upon our own power to bring about valid and needed change within ourselves. 
Powerlessness can make us feel passive, as if we're unable to contribute anything meaningful to the world, as if we're powerless to contribute anything of any worth to the world. And of course, if we feel unable to contribute anything meaningful to the world, then that tells us something about our feeling about ourselves, about our own alienation from our own power and the effectiveness of it. Powerlessness makes us look for approval. A belief in feeling powerless, being paralyzed, makes us look all the time for approval, for affirmation, for confirmation, for acceptance, where the feedback of other people becomes much more important and significant than how we actually feel about ourselves. And so our mind constantly goes through these incredible changes where one minute we can feel very positive about ourselves, the next moment exposed to a different kind of feedback, feel totally negative about who we are. And we're vulnerable and subject to that kind of swing, which is a real expression of a lack of inner connection. And we're vulnerable and subject to the power of other people's feedback. As long as we don't connect inwardly, with our own power and how to use it effectively and how to use it creatively. We suppress when we feel powerless because assertion would essentially mean change. When we feel something that we may feel is not easily going to be accepted or approved of, then at times if we feel powerless, it feels much safer to suppress it, to block it out. Because asserting it would mean that we have to bring about change inwardly or outwardly. And bringing about change and assertion is so often felt as being threatening. It brings up our whole sense of fear, of our losing our safety, and because of that suppression, there comes about so much self-denial, so much self-negation, so much self-judgment, and so much of a feeling of worthlessness. Because if we can't live in accord with what we feel to be true, and instead find ourselves living in accord with what feels to be safe, it brings such an incredible undermining feeling inwardly if one cannot trust in oneself, trust in one's own worth. And so, instead of trusting it, we find our foundation for being established outwardly. The foundation for our being established in approval. The foundation for our being established in other people's expectations. And where does powerlessness come from? Where does that feeling of a lack of worth come from? Where does that belief in a kind of inner paralysis come from? Sometimes it does come very much from the past, that we have been overwhelmed, that we have been manipulated, and found ourselves in a position of actually being powerless, unable to change anything. Sometimes that feeling comes from a fear, 
that we feel really ill-equipped through our own conditioning to bring about the changes that we need to bring. Sometimes that powerlessness comes from a lack of trust, that we don't trust the effectiveness of our own feelings, our own actions, our own thoughts and our own power. It's not enough, obviously, in our lives to make safety a goal. It's not enough also just to blame the past. It's also not enough just to blame the present, to blame authorities, to blame other people, to blame life events. Nothing in the present has that power to condition us. Nothing in the present has the power to bring about that sense of being undermined. Apart from, in this moment, our giving of our power to them apart from in this moment being divorced or alienated from a sense of our own power and a sense of our own trust in ourselves. There is a relationship between power and spirituality because certainly there's no dynamic that takes place in our lives that can be separated from spirituality. And within the field of spirituality, we'll find both the destructive and the creative uses of power. We can find the power that is undermining, and we can also find the power that is transforming. And spirituality is essentially concerned with freedom, and the path to freedom is also one of discovering our own power, discovering our own effectiveness and trusting in that, and really exploring what creative power is and what the sources of that creative power is. Sometimes we've had experiences in our lives of feeling overwhelmed and swamped. We've had experiences in our lives of living in a competitive, controlling kind of world. There's often a feeling of being disillusioned with it, that it's of no value, that it's simply too much, that we want to get out of it. And sometimes that feeling of disillusionment with the way our very culture and world operates is a feeling that brings a person to spirituality, setting aside that way of living, setting aside trying to set aside that way of controlling and coming to spirituality, looking for the end of conflict. And yet when we come to meditation, when we come to the path of spirituality, both consciously and unconsciously, we transfer our own patterns and tendencies. Somehow just beginning a meditation retreat is not like beginning as a newborn. We don't begin with a kind of blank slate that everything is a new life, it's a new world, we bring our baggage with us, for sure. And we bring our tendencies and our patterns with us. We bring, too, the patterns that create pain in our relationship to life. They are often transferred to spirituality and create the same pain in relationship to ourselves inwardly. Instead of life, or the world being the battleground, instead of feeling the need to control people, objects, 
Instead of seeing life events as being opponents to be conquered or to have mastery over, that battle becomes much more subtle and it becomes an inner battle where the need to control and the need to have power over has new opponents, but they are opponents that exist within ourselves. And again, in spirituality and the whole practice of meditation, one sees this element of control coming up. One sees this kind of distorted use of power coming up. We set ourselves against ourselves. If we carry our distorted uses of power into spirituality, then we set ourselves basically against ourselves, trying to control, trying to negate, trying to have power over anything that we value as being negative or as being a hindrance. And spirituality is often perceived as being some kind of inner war, where you've got this value system where there's all these positive things love, compassion, clarity, detachment, equanimity, and you also seem to have all these negative things of, of dullness and a whole variety of things that are labeled as being negative. Body, feelings, emotions, your mind, your past, your relationship to nature, your desire for relationship. And spirituality is often perceived as being this kind of war where all these kind of negative things are sort of lurking in the background threatening somehow to overwhelm and overpower the positive. And one also ha almost has to be on a kind of guard, watching out for the presence of these things arising. And meditation can become this kind of little inner battle that's constantly being waged. And every time something that's valued as being negative arises in the mind, and so many things are valued as being negative, you know, you find a judgment arising in the mind. You know? And there's a feeling, oh, oh, there's a judgment, I'm being so judgmental. I shouldn't be so judgmental because it's bad to be judgmental. <laughs> you find a feeling arises, and, there's, and, and often that this kind of, this, this sort of controlling element comes in and says, that shouldn't be there. Or you find the thought of the past arises, and again the sense comes in, aha, that's not welcome in this particular environment because I'm supposed to or I should be like this. And there's this constant feeling almost of being invaded, except we're being invaded by ourselves. <laughs> and so many things in spirituality do accumulate these incredible values and these incredible associations, and judgment is one of them. It's almost like it's written into the code of meditation, thou shalt not judge. But look at our lives and look at the actuality of living, look at the actuality of relationship. If you walk outside and you see someone outside kicking the dog or kicking the Doberman, it's an expression of wisdom to walk by and not judging. <laughs> they just walk by and, and that's perhaps some expression of wisdom. Obviously it's not an expression of wisdom. Part of perception and a part of relationship does involve the mind. It's not as if meditation is some sort of lobotomy where you begin a meditation, your mind suddenly ceases to exist and you just have some little sort of light of clear perception that's come from somewhere else. The mind is there and it has a function, of course, the judgment in that situation is not necessary to say, you horrible, miserable Cretan kicking that dog, that you're so concerned with your judgment that the do poor dog is still being kicked. 
Obviously, there's an element of judgment that can assess the totality of a situation and say, well, this is really not on, and it's got to stop. To assume this position that through these value systems, it's almost a saying that everything in life is acceptable, you know, and I only have to be more accepting. Well, where would we be in our lives if, everything, if we look upon everything as being acceptable? And if we look upon an appropriate response to everything as simply to be more accepting, we'd be where we are now, eh? <laughs> in, in a really messy, screwed out world, often with a kind of inner life that feels to be an absolute mess also. Somehow we need to take these value systems that we adopt and simply throw them out the window and look anew at what is meaningful relationship, what is meaningful communication, what is an appropriate, sensitive way of responding, what is a skillful way of living, what is a creative way of using our power, what is a creative way of utilizing our feelings. What is a creative way of utilizing our thoughts? Because all of this is our actuality. Our bodies, our feelings, our thoughts, our memories, our aspirations, all of this is our actuality. And spirituality somehow can't be separated from that. Spirituality can't be somehow founded upon some idea that we're trying to achieve, you know, of being some kind of wimp is the word, you know, of some kind of shining light of sort of boundless acceptance and generosity. Spirituality has to have some wisdom in it. And wisdom at times means some clear discrimination. And clear discrimination comes from clear perception. And change comes about through a clear perception of our own power and how to utilize it. We can measure in meditation our worth also by our capacity to control. You know, if, if you have this negative value system and feelings or thoughts arise, it can become an indication of failure in the meditation. If you measure your worth by your capacity to control and you manage to achieve at the end of a sitting that you've counted 50 breaths and your mind feels quiet, can be a wonderful sense, yes, I've managed to control my mind, and that can be a sense because it has some sort of positive value as being a positive measure of our worth. And yet this is also you know, such nonsense, and as if there is something special, inherently special, about being able to watch 50 breaths in a row. There's nothing inherently special about even being able to watch 10 breaths in a row. And sometimes you feel lucky if you can watch three, but there's nothing inherently special about it. It's no sort of qualification for living. It's no sort of qualification for getting a job. It's no sort of qualification for being a valuable person. You, I mean, plenty of people can watch ten breaths in a row. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that capacity is accompanied by wisdom or by intelligence or by sensitivity or by love or by compassion. And yet, within ourselves, within our, me our own meditations, we can set up these kind of signposts, and we can set up these guidelines where we are a judge of ourselves. And so we still see these same swings that we used to see in relationship to the feedback of other people. But now, the only person giving the feedback is ourselves, and we're still swinging. 
Yes, I'm good, I'm bad, I, I'm worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm a success, I'm a failure, I'm a good meditator, I'm a lousy meditator. Except the only feedback is coming from within ourselves. And somewhere the point has been missed. That worth, our worth is not in relationship to this kind of feedback. Our sense of being and our sense of vision can never be dependent on this kind of feedback. Because to live in such a way and to be in such a way is really to be, to be like a leaf before the wind, you know, just blown here, there and everywhere with no stability, no balance, no strength and no power. No power really to effectively and creatively utilize the resources that we have. We can become, in meditation, quite brutal towards ourselves. And it's really important to see that, that meditation can be a real act of care and love and sensitivity. Meditation can also be a real act of brutality. If there's this punishing, if there's this denying, if there's this suppressing, if there's, there's this constant kind of undermining type of judgment taking place, then meditation can be a process of really abusing oneself. And we can find concepts if we're into that trip, and there are tendencies that make that path very attractive in all of us probably. And we can find concepts in spirituality that make that path seem very justified and right because we're surrounded by these very weird concepts in spirituality. You know that the path of spirituality is one just of cutting through, just of uprooting impurities, just of being a kind of spiritual warrior, just of punishing the mind. And they go on and on and on, these kind of concepts which portray a particular relationship to being when one is with oneself. And one needs to question, not that those concepts are always used in that way, but one needs to really see that those concepts can really bring in this whole element of control, this whole element of having power over ourselves in a suppressing, in an undermining, in a kind of invalidating way. A spiritual war. <coughs> holds the same dimensions of the power struggle, as does that war when it takes place in relationship to life, to other people. And the effects are the same, the effects inwardly the same, of feeling pain, of feeling fragmentation, of feeling alienation, of feeling division. Just as we transfer or can transfer this kind of distorted use of power to meditation. Of course, we also transfer our sense of powerlessness. If we feel in life to be in a position of being overwhelmed and overpowered and swamped by people and objects and life events, then invariably we carry that same sense inwardly. We find ourselves either overwhelmed by models and authorities and spirituality, or we find ourselves being overpowered by our own kind of models, overpowered by our own minds, overpowered by our own past, overpowered by our own memories, overpowered by our own expectations, overpowered by our own images. 
And there can be the feeling of simply being unable to change. There comes about this kind of spiritual paralysis where one feels unable to really bring about any form of change. And sometimes that spiritual paralysis, because it's so difficult to accept it inwardly, gets expressed through looking for safety again. And safety often, of course, is found in conformity, in getting approval, in getting acceptance. And yet again, that same desire for safety and hiding from our own feelings, from what is taking place within ourselves and seeing safe, seeking safety outwardly, again has exactly that same effect of undermining our trust in ourselves. We may adopt the thoughts and values, the images of others, we may find ourselves constantly striving to be different, to be more open, more accepting, more generous, less defensive or less reactive. And it's not to say that there's anything wrong in wishing to be more generous, open and accepting, or wishing to be free of defensiveness. And yet, when it's just a play of images, there is something wrong. Because it's not a freedom that is really connected with our own being. It's a freedom in order to get something. It's a freedom in order to get approval, either our own sense of approval or the approval of others. But then it's a freedom which becomes meaningless because it's a freedom which is, again, just so easily lost. And it's no true freedom at all. In fact, it becomes a further expression of limitation. Sometimes that feeling of powerlessness in spirituality is dressed up to make it feel better. If we don't feel powerful within ourselves, if we feel powerless and feel it that difficult to accept, find ourselves unable to accept it, then it is dressed up to make it look better and to make it feel more acceptable. And sometimes that powerlessness is called humility. It's called humility and it's become something to cultivate. And yet the cultivation of it obviously is so destructive for one's own sense of being. I'll give you another one of my nightmare stories. <laughs> when I was once practicing in the East, I went to a monastery, and it was a kind of classic situation where the monks had all these nice kutis, and the women were essentially behind barbed wire <laughs> in an enclosure and cleaned the rice. Mm -hmm. And there were <laughs> this is, there are lots of nice monasteries in the East too. I haven't been there, but I've heard about them. <laughs> but there are actually some. There are actually some. Anyway, I encountered this. I mean, I felt awful in the monastery. I felt absolutely terrible. My, my only thought in the monastery was how to sabotage the whole system. And, uh, quite frankly, that was my initial... I spent my initial month planning. Planning, <laughs> planning how to sabotage the system. And the most effective way I could do it was to hide the rakes. Because... <laughs> 
know every day the monks would, at a certain time used to get their exercise by raking the leaves. <laughs> I thought if I hid the rakes, everything would fall apart. <laughs> but anyway, I got to a conversation with this monk. And, then, and you know, there's also a lot of nice monks in Thailand. I mean that sincerely. I also met a lot of very wonderful monks. But I also met some that weren't. And this monk said to me, you know, you're so lucky. You know, if I should be so lucky as you're lucky. <laughs> he said, you have this wonderful opportunity here to practice humility. Us monks never get that. <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> practice of meditation, the practice of spirituality, in a very real way, is learning to empower ourselves. It's learning to empower ourselves. It's learning to discover new sources of power within ourselves which are qualitatively different than the sources of power we may be accustomed to. Meditation begins with this sense of being with oneself as a first step, being with oneself without anyone here to prop you up, saying, right, wrong, this is how you should be. By being with oneself, one cultivates attention. This is the practice of meditation in the beginning, is cultivating the sense of attention. By cultivating attention, you get in touch with a certain amount of power, because attention has its own power. And, and you see changes taking place within yourself. You see changes taking place within yourself through the meditation, through cultivating that attention. You find yourself less overwhelmed, less overpowered by things, basically, both inwardly and outwardly. And I feel it's very true that if you are not a victim of your own mind, your own conditioning and your own models, that there is nothing in this world that you're going to be a victim of. You find yourself developing that attention, and with the attention comes a greater sense of spaciousness inwardly. There comes a greater environment of openness, of sensitivity, of trust, there comes an environment in which exactly the same things that we'd previously before found in our lives as being very threatening or overpowering, they come and they're not so. They're simply not threatening and they're not overpowering. Not because necessarily that we've changed our model of ourselves, not because necessarily because we've tried to be different or got rid of anything, but simply the capacity to be attentive is the first step towards empowering oneself. Because you see, on the basis of your own experience, that you don't have to be a victim. You see, on the basis of your own understanding, that you don't have to be a victim. In relationship to images, memories, expectations inwardly, and in trusting in that, in really trusting in that experience, one also empowers oneself not to be a victim of others' expectations, demands, and models. And that is a first step, that movement out of the role of being a victim and to that sense of discovering a sense of power within oneself. If there is, a sense of sen if there is sensitivity in the meditation, if the meditation is approached with care, with sensitivity, with gentleness, one discovers within oneself the power of love. Not love necessarily, I love so-and-so, I love this, but a power of love of being. One discovers that if you can be with oneself in an environment of love, in an environment of gentleness and compassion inwardly, 
that that love directed inwardly, that way of being inwardly, has a transforming effect on our being. It does have a transforming effect. To go through life free of self-negation, free of self-hatred, free of a sense of being worthless, brings a dramatic transformation in our vision of ourselves and our vision of life. And the meditation, as I see it, is cultivated in that way. It's cultivated in a, in a way of care, in a way of sensitivity, in a way of love. And if one can experience the transformation that that brings inwardly, you experience that you don't have to become anything, you don't have to get rid of things, you don't have to erase things, you don't have to become perfect, and your freedom isn't dependent on being better. But one discovers just by being with what is in the moment, with care, with love, with sensitivity, that there is an openness and there is a receptivity and there is a learning that goes on. There is a wisdom that comes through. And in that capacity to be with oneself, there also comes through an enormous amount of strength. There comes through a vast degree of inner strength. The strength of balance, the strength of clarity, the strength of not needing to get away from, the strength of not needing to avoid, the strength of not needing to protect, the strength of that of not feeling the need to be safe or to hide away from oneself. And that, that love and that sensitivity begins to discover new sources of power. Because the, the power that that love has to transform inwardly, the power that that clarity and strength has to transform outwardly, is also the power that has, that has the potential to bring about outer transformation. We begin to trust in the effectiveness of our own power. Because we see change coming through being with ourselves, learning how to be alone, knowing in that lo aloneness, not a negative loneliness or alienation or disconnection, but knowing in our own feeling of being alone a true sense of completeness and wholeness. And that brings about an end through that, through one's own insight and through one's own experience. This need for approval, this need for affirmation, this need for feedback to bolster up our own sense of worth. Because one knows that within oneself, one is alone and can be alone. And bring that to relationship, bring that to the world. In that bringing of it, frees ourselves from dependency. And it brings about a meaningful contribution to the world in which we live. Discovering those sources of power which are qualitatively different means really looking at our relationship to what is taking place within ourselves. Are we struggling? Are we resisting? Are we indulging? Because all of those are an expression of our powerlessness. Or do we have a cooperative relationship to what is taking place within ourselves? When we see resistance, when we see anger, when we see grief, when we see sadness, when we see joy, when we see delight, when we see connection, do we have a cooperative relationship to all of that? Do we have a cooperative relationship to our bodies, a cooperative relationship to our feelings, a cooperative relationship to our thoughts? And a cooperative relationship is the clear recognition that all of that makes our totality as a human being is a vehicle for learning and a vehicle for understanding. And that all that takes place in each moment brings us messages that if there is a cooperative relationship to them, and that is a relationship of sensitivity and of strength, 
a relationship of receptivity and a relationship of openness, a relationship that is free from the need to struggle to be someone different. That cooperative relationship means that we learn from everything that makes up our total life experience. That cooperative relationship brings about a sense of celebration in our meditation. It brings about a sense of celebration and appreciation in our lives because we don't have to struggle to be the perfect spiritual image. We don't have to struggle to get rid of who we are. We have to be with what is, not in a passive way, but in a clear, strong way. Be with what is. And in that being, with sensitivity and with love, transformation comes very spontaneously. And understanding and peace and, and, and compassion are not things then to be strived for, to be achieved. They come very spontaneously because there is the environment in which they are nourished. There is the environment inwardly in which they're nurtured. And one discovers in that one's own power. Discovers in that one's own power and, and trust in one's own effectiveness. To be with oneself, to be alone, to be in relationship with the world in a meaningful, in a clear, and in a loving way. May all beings live with sensitivity. May all beings live with trust. May all beings live with understanding.